Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew, and my blog is comicsfondle.com. I think he said he's Andrew, and he's from comicsfondle.com, but this is Vernon, and I'm from the Comics Gallery, a fine retail establishment that most of you will never get to, but if you do, by God, it's the next best thing to heaven. Yes, and this is our, uh, I think we're probably due for a podcast, aren't we? Is it our first Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do, we're going to have a feature after the uh, comics uh, floppy discussion. Yeah. So there you go. That's our new thing for 2018. And we're not going to tell you what it is. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Astute listeners who've listened to me talk, which there aren't too many of you, may got an idea, but the rest of you will be totally in the dark, you know. But uh, anyway, getting through that monstrous, uh, what was it, uh, best of 2017 show, boy, it took me a while to recover from that. Yeah, that, so. that was a long one. That was yeah. long before we even started it. We put a lot of work into that one. And uh, at any rate, yeah, there's there's just enough comics coming out now just to make a nice heady show, you know, that's not too long or anything, so, you know. We figured we'd give it another shot before you lost your heads out there and everything. So what you want to do is we get the, uh, what is it? So we don't have any rants this week, although no, I'm, not, I'm not really no. ranty. Maybe it's just because, you know, it's like the beginning of the year and shit, you know? Well, you know, you haven't had Bendis on Superman yet. you got nothing to rant about. This is true. You know, he's, he's going to get Superman and action, I heard. So I, I, I just really can't wait to see what two books of Talking Head Superman will come out like. I'm not sure. Anyway, all right. Anyway, we'll, I'm the so, we'll get the disappointment out of the way first. Oh, good. All right. So yeah. we knew this this was probably going to be a disappointment, though. We did. Yeah, it wasn't heading towards any classical spheres or anything. No. So we're talking about the first Burger Books series to come out, besides the uh, preview, "Hungry Ghosts" by Anthony Bourdain. By celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain, who incidentally is, uh, I, I do like him. He had this really funny quote about how back in 90 or 2000, he gave an interview after he was in uh, Southeast Asia. And he's like, I don't think anybody can visit Southeast Asia and not wish Henry Kissinger dead. And so, oh, like two weeks ago, he's like, you know, people ask me if I regret ever saying things. He's like, sure, but not this one where I say that I wish Henry Kissinger was dead. <laughs> so anyway, I like I like Anthony Bourdain, but uh, this comic is... <laughs> I mean, it's nice to see Alberto Ponticelli working, but I just want to go read Universal Soldier again. Or not Universal, so Unknown Soldier again. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, it, it's it's rather sad, you know, it just wasn't scary at all. Right, and this is the thing about horror comics, and I don't know that we've ever really talked about them at length, because we only read Richard Corbin these days, but they're, a horror comic, we're not talking about Tomb of Dracula, or Werewolf by Night, or Monster Frankenstein, like, there were some legitimately scary fucking comics like, people could do that. Those Bruce Jones horror comics, like, mag black and white magazines, they were fucking creepy comics. Like, creepy and eerie right. and shit. Like, right. They just leave you with a slight bit of uncomfortableness. Right. You need, like, yeah. yeah. So, they have to cause discomfort when they're done. 
hungry ghosts causes discomfort because it's just like it, okay it's so dumb it's like a book for 20 it's like a book that you could have gotten away with in 1985 maybe because it's still not scary i mean well, it's not scary but it's got the whole japanese caden i'm mispronouncing that quaden thing going on where it's the night of uh scary stories and things but you know it's 2018 we have the internet we can Google that. We can read about it. We can watch the Criterion move, uh, release of it streaming online. This comic just seems really kind of dated. And then you read the back matter, and it turns out that Bourdain didn't even come up with the stories. Uh, well, they, what's his name? Uh, Joel Rose, Rose did. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, why is this guy? I mean, it, this guy, he's okay, but he's not. What's the cooking theme? It's the cooking theme. It's, like, in the classic story, the chefs that get together after a big meal congratulate themselves and try to tell the scariest stories or something like that. I think that's that's like the theme of this four issue series. I'm and not it's sure. Just like, I think that, I don't, yeah. So not a good start. Not a good. Well, you start. know it, it, what is it? I, I phrased it a nothing burger. Oh, 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 oh. but uh, you know it's it's just kind of it's got the big names. It's got this beautiful Paul Pope cover on the front that just beckons you to pick the fucking thing up and read it. But when you read it, you know, you got some nice artwork in here. It's not from lack of trying on the artist's benefit, but I'm just not that scared by a lobster woman that cuts off everybody's testicles over right. and over again. Like, you know? this is... Yeah, yeah. 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 After you've cut off the first couple of sets, you figure the guys aren't running to get in line to the room anymore, you know? There really was that in the book, that that made no... Anyway, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. So Burger Books kind of laid an egg on that first... Uh, thing out. I mean, I'm looking forward to Matahari next week or next week or something like that. We'll see how that goes, but uh, if this is her first opening shot, that's kind of lame so far. It's You know, it's a professional-looking product, but it's just kind of dull. I don't even think it's it's up there on League of DC's Old House of Secrets or, no, or any of that from the not. 70s, you know? That's, that, and that's... That's bad because yeah, know. that's kind of bad. Yeah, those are those are stories meant to scare kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know what, Hungry Ghost just just not up to snuff anyway. I didn't think. No. Well, we had another disappointment this week too. Uh, not that we weren't expecting this one either as well, uh, because we had some track record. The Rough and Ready from Howard Chaykin and uh, oh, what? yeah, remember I wanted to put that up front. Well, get that out of the way. You so sent me a paper. Li- okay, fine. I did, remember? We said we're going to add it at the bottom, and I said we're going to throw it up on top to get the disappointment out of the way. Oh. Yeah. No, I don't remember any of that. You must uh, have been talking to somebody else. read your fucking email, man. I don't know what to All right. Me. So anyway, yes, rough and ready. <laughs> I read this, right? <laughs> yeah, on. I hope so. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Anyway, we got to rough and ready. And you, you were just to start a diatribe on I that. was going to start a diatribe. Okay, so rough and ready um, – Howard Chaikin, Garth Ennis at the same time got their got their Hanna-Barbera books. And, you know, we went into these thinking it was going to maybe work out with Rough and Ready. And then it became clear really fast that it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, the book almost runs in place so successfully over the last three issues. It's, yeah... There's, it's a six issue series too. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, it doesn't need to be six issues, okay? Because we're <sighs> we've, out of the first four, I think we could probably knock off two at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Now, so and I, we, we were talking. I think we had a discussion about this about Garth Ennis and uh, Howard Chaykin picking up Hanna Barbera 
assignments, you know, just to get that work and everything. It seems like Garth Ennis had more fun with it than Howard Jacob did with his. Yeah, this is just unpleasant and it's bad. It's bad because he's trying to do a lot of like new media type stuff, you know, and Twitter and thing and social media. And it just doesn't, it doesn't ring true. You know, like he does not have a handle on commentary on this subject. He does keep it busy. Now, he's got that letterer, Ken Brusenak, working with him on this. Yeah. It's the same guy that did the uh, Divided States of Hysteria with him. And I found that, like, this is more of a subdued use of lettering and social media and posting. Uh, Divided States of America had almost had so much of this buzz going on. Some panels were deliberately, I think, obtuse with all the noise. You know, and Rough and Ready is a very dialed down version of that kind of stuff, believe it or not. You know, I hate to, I hate to like spoil Mac, Re- Mac Ray's characters and stuff because he seems to have that stuff like right on the nose. You know, he doesn't have a problem with that. But there's just not an I- enough ideas developing in this book to really keep it going. It's pretty to look at, but there's really nothing going on, you know, and I'm like, okay. And I don't know. Just- I, I, I'm going to, it's going to be hard for me to pick up that fifth issue, you know? Right. Yeah. So we, it's weird. It should have been, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about more Hanna-Barbera. This is true. Yeah. There'll be more Hanna-Barbera later, but uh, anyway, back to the top of the list again. You, you want to start out with the uh, latest chapter of platoon. Yeah. Number five. Good stuff. Um, It's like, it's like dope. If comics were dope, you'd just read, Punisher and its stories all week long or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, They're very addicting. You know, good sort of it's back to the war comic feel. Or, it's very personable though. Yes, it is. war comics. It uh, is, especially with after the previous issue when they were on R&R. So, right. and this, this is, is the, the, yeah, sorry. The, 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 sorry, the cleanup operation. My right. And so it's weird because Ennis ends it on this note that is, should be entirely predictable. And I'm just like, I never saw it coming. I'm just like, how? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the big cliffhanger and you know that things are going to work out different, but it just came out of nowhere, but we should have predicted it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you're yeah. just like, cause it's, cause it's still trying to, you're still trying to, your expectations are still based on Punisher later, not Vietnam era Punisher. So there's still things that Ennis can do with the character in this setting that he can't do. He won't do later. This Frank is true. more innocent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Frank is learning, and, mm-hmm. and everything kind of goes according to the way it should, and then bit by bit it starts falling to shit because Frank realizes he's not in control as he'd like to be, you know? And that's a scary moment for Frank Castle, I imagine. But, uh, boy, you know, like five issues in, and, and Ennis hasn't let up on the gas at all on this fucking comic book. It's like... Nope. It's not an overly complex one. It's straight things. It bears a second or third reading. Uh, Goran Parloff artwork is just right on spot. So there are no better war comics than Garth Ennis. We've said it before. We'll probably say it again, but that's how it is. Sorry, kids. Yeah. 
Well, let's see. I'll have to take the lead on this one. Did you read the JLA Doom Patrol special? Did not uh, get to it. Well, apparently Gerald Way, that band member from some band, he, he keeps getting involved with comics here and then. And uh, I have to say that his Umbrella Academies were not bad efforts. He's not a prolific writer, but he understands plot, how to put it together, and make it add up, and how to finish. And uh, so he's taken on uh, some of DC's heroes with this uh, unusual Milk Wars series. He's, it's very surreal. If you ever read Doom Patrol, some of the new stuff, it's a kind of surreal stream of consciousness, semi. But he manages to keep it all under a nice structure in this special where Doom Patrol has to go into this like prisoner-like village where the JLA are subjugated into playing roles to keep the populace suburban and clean and drinking milk and big <laughs> stuff. And it works. It's like 40 pages annual. This is like a really good annual. In fact, you don't even have to read anything else. It says Milk Wars Part 1, but you could easily just read this and enjoy it, you know. And it's got some gorgeous artwork by Aiko where he utilizes double-page spreads to a really good effect all the way through. And Gerald Way manages to maintain some nice subliminal, well, I won't say subliminal, but nice symbolic types of messages within the writing as well, you know, how it's okay to be different, yada, yada, you know, the social stuff thrown in there as well. But um, this is like a great annual, and the artwork was gorgeous, and who did I have in here? They had two colorists. Uh, Steve Orlando wrote this with, I think he did most of the, the, the weight, I'm sure, pulled most of the weight. Um, but Tamara, is it Bravillan and Marissa Louise did the coloring. They do a smash-up job on this thing. It's, it's gorgeous all the way through, and it's like an art object. So this is kind of your mainstream read for the week. I mean, it's kind of it's silly how DC and Marvel are sneaking books under our reading list, <laughs> isn't it? It's almost subversive, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll jump into the uh, good ex-Vertigo uh, editor now and see how yeah. that comes up. So, Kid Lobotomy 4. Um, this book is just... It's just a... slightly gross... but positive, like, peppy book... It's very hard to explain. Um, Peter Master Peter Milligan serves no master. Yeah, I, I'm impressed that he's able to. I mean, Fowler's art really ties it all together because he's he's on so many tangents with things that she needs to sort of hold the shape shifting weight uh, made. Yeah, that's what four was about, yeah, right? The shape shifting made, right? It was an origin story, but it cut off halfway and he got back to the main plot. But, you know, I mean, Milligan's got to be in his 60s. I'll guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has a good comic once every... I mean, he has a, he's had a really good comic or two, but he has a good comic once every four years at this point, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, he gets it He started falling him off uh, back when they hung some vertigo hope on him, but... Yeah, no, Kid Lobotomy, it's, uh, it's scarier than Hungry Ghosts, I'll say that for you. Well, it, 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 it's it's a lot better, and what is it, now this is the ex-Vertigo uh, editor, Shelley Bond, Bond, right? Yeah. And she's spearheading this Black Crown Comics imprint within the IDW label. And it looks all resolutely English, all of these comics, they remind me of English comics. And uh, Kid Lobotomy, it's like, 
it's very smooth, although it deals with a lot of uncomfortable themes and, uh, you know, incest and uh, what the uh, shape-shifting maid, who's obviously much older than Kid Lobotomy when she's mm-hmm. relating the story when he's like 12, you know. Right, when she falls like, in love with her. And, uh, but it's a very surreal, scary, it's actually scarier than uh, Hungry Ghost by a yeah. long shot, you know. And, uh, yeah, I have to give kudos to Tess Fowler's artwork. She does, she, she brings it all together in a nice, coherent storyline and, uh, uh, makes Peter Milligan's excesses work in a visual way and kind of tones right. him down the work, you know. And it's, 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 it's a fun book. Um, Black Crown, incredibly, uh, successful so far. And, uh, the next one, uh, Assassinistas, I finally read issue two this afternoon. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how smooth these books are. Like, if you like to drink and you got a smooth drink, these things just go down like a smooth yeah. drink. You know, it's, they really do. It's really impressive. I mean, you know, Assassinistas has a, um, there's a lot of expectation because it's Beto Hernandez doing <clears throat> art for somebody again, which he doesn't, I mean, he, he does it regularly, but not that frequently, you know? Yeah, he he really draws for someone else's writing, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, so it had some expectation, and then it went a completely different way, and it's just, it's staying surprising. It's, you know, moving along. Yeah, I mean. It reminded, it was, it, it reminded me of like a, a 70s exploitation type of film in the beginning, but the way it's paced and how he brings in the minor characters to contribute, it's not that at all. It's something yeah. else. It's like a family drama it could be like a half hour sitcom, but it takes its right. life seriously it about these. Like that. Yeah, it kind of yeah, feels San, like that. Yeah, Denise's is what, three older women, because it goes back in time when they were hot chicks doing the job, and now as they face other problems in maturity, and a couple of them are moms and stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, it, 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 the one mom reins in her son and his lover to, to help out on a job, you know, to rescue their other sister's kid. And I'm like, Wow, you know this this would be like totally convoluted shit anywhere else, but it seems to work. I'm going to give was it Teeny Howard some kudos yeah. for keeping this thing going. And um, Beto Hernandez's uh, cartoony artwork keeps it light, but it's all very serious. You take it all the way because you're so familiar with his style. It has a light feel to it, but you take it seriously at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's Hernandez, you know. So this was like bucket number two in this, and I can't wait to read. Uh, the third one, something about, I don't know, punk rock or something like that. I don't know. That's coming out next week or the week okay. after. So these uh, Black Crown books, man, I tell you, if your retailer doesn't have them, you say, I want the Black Crown books. And if they say no, you pull your trousers down and you <laughs> urinate and defecate right there in the store. All right. Serious. Um, all right. Hopefully those books all keep selling at Burn Shop because otherwise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nobody, has to, nobody has to go through that effort over here. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. So Barbarella number two, uh, once again, what the hell is it? Why is there a good Barbarella comic? You know, you could you could ask that very question, and it's published by Dynamite, which is probably one of the last publishers you'd expect to have a readable comic book on the rack. Because let's face it, ninety eight percent of their product is just bullshit. And I I admire the people that work on it; they got to earn a living. But the comics are still bullshit. Yeah, and all all fifteen covers for issue ones and all that nonsense. As a retailer, I got no time for that bullshit. Just give me the book, the meat, you know. Yeah. And they give us the meat. 
He accidentally came up with something yeah. good. Barbara it's, Ella. Uh, is it, that's an old French concept. Yeah. Uh, 70s, uh, Jane Fonda 60s. started in her well, first uh, yeah, yeah. But there was yeah. a comic before that. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, French. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jean-Yves St. King Florent, or you know how this guy's pronounced. Uh-huh. You know, that's her name. I don't know, something like that. And uh, this is the newer version by Mike Carey, who uh, old Vertigo people might be familiar with. What did what did Mike Carey write that we used to like? Was it the Unwritten? Unwritten. He wrote yes. Lucifer. Lucifer. Yes, yes. Very solid writer of mythology, and he just uh, he obviously studies some French comics. And so far, Barbara Ella, two issues in, and yeah. lots of fun, man. Lots of lots of fun. Uh, yeah, and uh, the uh, artist Yadar. Right. Yarar. Y A R A R. Now how you pronounce that, I don't know. I'm gonna go with Yarar. <laughs> he uh he he gets that sort of this is kinda of like Spy Seal, which we're actually gonna to get to talk about again later, but that you don't need to have the action in the big panel. Right? No, no. It it's very album for you and the way European artists like they pace their pages. They don't go for the double page spreads. Rarely do they do full page spreads. And for eight to 10, 12, 12 panels a page, that's pretty common for European artists. Yeah. So it's just got, it's got a real nice style to it. And it's just oh, a oh. nice surprise. Yeah. Well, just to be sure, we're not sure that either of these, we, we're almost certain Mike Curie isn't European. We're not sure about your R. Mike so Curie's guys, British, isn't he? Who's Mike that? British. He's Is he British? Okay. Well, I guess he's European then. Yarrar's got to be British. Wait, because you, he knows how to write? <laughs> wow. What? Wow. What? What? British, art, British writers, I'm telling you, they know oh, how to wow. write, okay? That British invasion, man, that that showed a lot of American writers. That was Karen Berger, too. That's what's kind of yeah. fucked up about. If anything, that should have scared the shit out of a lot of American writers, okay? When they see all these guys who know how to write taking their money, like, I'll work for less money, Jesus. Jesus, I used to work in England for Christ's sake. I used to work on but, uh, what's it called? Uh, I'm sure 2000 AD didn't pay very much. Uh, nope, I doubt Kenan it. Kenan Yarar is Turkish, so they're both he, they're both ones from the continent, and one is from another you know, continent. Another no. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so okay. Hey, I mean, Dynamite put out like a it. good European comic. There you go. Right. It's a good rollicking fantasy adventure espionage with sexist type of things. Because Barbara Ella, as independent as she is, she's still presented as kind of a sexy heroine. Let's yeah. put it that way. But uh, lots of fun. Two issues in, man. Again, didn't let up off the gas pedal one bit. Oh, Maestro's four. Did you think he'd be able to get four issues, Steve Scrosi, and, and keep our attention as a writer and an artist? Um he managed to take 20 or 22 pages and just fucking do it every issue so far. And I'm really going to take a crap in my pants if he doesn't make it through this because I'm really invested in it. I know. know. I yeah. know. It's just like. I love the mom, you know. I know the mom girl. is back in this. And it's just like, ah, we missed her for she was gone for an issue. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Maestro's. The story of the, uh, what, the one of uh, many millions of offspring of the Grand Wizard, Wizard Universe, gets, whatever. Mm-hmm. He gets the lead role and he's fucking up and succeeding in some ways. But it's a great fucking drama, man. I mean, <laughs> but but it's humor. It's all black humor. And Steve Scrosi knows how to deliver it perfectly, you know, visuals and all. Yeah, it's um, it's a surprise. I mean, it's not, I guess it's not any, now it's just impressive he can keep it going. 
Yeah, the intensity of four issues in a row that came out on a regular schedule I was very impressed with in this day and age when, you know, like some people can't even get Batman books out on time. Right. He manages to put out like Maestros. Now, Maestros is an odd name, but you know what? Your your retailer should be carrying this. If, any, if they're not, well, then they really need to be alerted to it right away. And, and don't forget about the uh, urination and defecation trick. It works for me. But uh, hey, you want to have Kaiju Max, man? Did, did, speaking of speaking of lost causes that come back from the dead, uh, that was quite an issue of Kaiju Max. I, think. I am just. <laughs> Don't you wish the third season of TV were like that? Like, so Kaiju Max season three, number six, is one of those great issues of Kaiju Max, which. The third season has had none of. It's had some okay issues toward the end once Electricor showed back up again. But Cannon's attempt to prop up new characters and do new things in this season really failed. But bringing it back into, you know, what he knows how to do, which is huge action sequences, dramatic action sequences with a lot going on and a lot of heartstrings to tug on. Lots it's, and lots of heartstrings for uh, the <clears throat> Japanese movie monster type stuff, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, it's paced, beautiful. It's just, it's great. And it's like, yeah. I can't wait for season four. And it's just like, yeah. I was ready to give up on this book three issues ago. Uh, yeah, the middle portions of this, the first two were kind of odd, and then the next two had like a couple of moments in each issue, but nothing coherent or structurally interesting, and we really got scared because the first two seasons are just whambity, wham, bam, bam, you know, and the third season was really faltering, and we're like, is he got enough gas in the tank? Does he have it? Does he have it? But, you know, we should be reading the back matter, too. His back matter talking about being an independent creator is pretty good stuff. And I have a feeling it's related to what he's what he's doing right now in this third season. Um, that said, he saved it. He made it good. I was as a retailer, I was like, "Oh no, don't crash!" I love to sell my trade paperbacks of kaiju. That's what Max, I'm thinking. You know? Like you're gonna read this kaiju max as a trade, and you're not gonna understand how how bad the bad got. You know, yes, like, it's still better than Superman, kids. But for Kaiju Max, it was just a step under. And, and for that matter, not all seasons can be equal. That's it's true with comics, true. just like TV. That know? is true. But I feel like with comics, we have this expectation that the work has gone into it. Right. You and know, it's had many a chances to change before the final product reaches our eyes. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're under a severe deadline and they can't change things or it's going to cost them a lot of money to reshoot scenes or anything like right. that. Right, like, <clears throat> so, yep, Kaiju Max, can't wait for season four. Nope, me what, neither. What a great fucking comic, you know? Uh, just It really is. It's for mature audience. It was just, just great stuff. Just it really great. is, you know? Uh, I, 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 almost, I almost wish that Electricor could have fulfilled his mission just to see what would have happened. You right. know what I mean? That's uh, all I'll say. Oh, just great stuff. So, all right. <laughs> vinegar teeth. Vinegar uh, teeth. You know, is it Troy Dark Nixie. Horse, right? Yeah, Dark Horse, Dark Horse, weird, quirky series. Troy Nixie, uh, master of the quirky weirdness. What was he involved in that, like, sea creature chick? 
thing that got nixed and redone. I, I can't remember. There was some like C. Lamprey story that he was working on. He's a very unusual creator, but he's got some really intense blow out your head artwork a lot of times, you know, just his weirdness takes over. And so he does this book with, uh, let's see, who's our Damon Gentry. Now, anyway, this is like a alien growth that comes out of this guy's stomach and besides decides he wants to be a cop when he saves the day and he gets partnered up with a guy who happened to be there who's a drunk and doesn't want anything to do with him. It's and they're they're partners on the police force. It's very Max Flesher Animation Studios, but ugly. It's yeah, it's just, no, it's not just ugly. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. It can be disgusting. Yes, and you know it still is just it just works. It's the the hideous, disgusting monsters. Cute, you know his his, yeah. his uh, personality's cute. Yeah. Um, Somebody in the audience said, "Well, what do we? What do you call it? I don't have a name." And they're like, "Well, you smell like vinegar tea." And you got tea or something. Like, that's good. I'll be vinegar tea. And I'm like, "So that's the fucking name he goes with." You know? um, it's 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 almost it's almost nightmarish if it weren't so absurd and kind of funny right, in its own way. Right. And, there's some gross scenes in there with violence yeah. itself, and when the guy shot up to death in the car, you're like, "Oh my god!" And they treat it like a like a background panel detail. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> so the adventures of this cop and his like cancerous growth partner that looks like he came from outer space. And they, they're by the docks and the warehouses. And Troy Nixie just illustrates this with such love and respect and wonder. And it's an odd little fucking comic. It really is. It really, I mean, it's kind of like part EC comics, but with underground sensibility. And, yeah. Saturated colors from an animated cartoon, and oh, it's got a whole lot of influences. It's really bizarre and scarier than Hungry Ghosts. Um, <laughs> yes, and it's scarier than Hungry Ghosts. You're right. So, uh, all right. Well, that was good stuff, though. So, look up Vinegar Teeth. It's probably going to be another one of the fucking books that your retailer doesn't carry. Well, just slap them across the face and say, Listen, carry this goddamn book, will you please? All right. Oh, look what finished and, and, and how it finished. Sherlock Frankenstein. Sherlock Frankenstein, number four. Jeff Lemire can do no wrong. He is the new Jesus Christ of comic book writers, it looks like, doesn't it? He's he's there to no, save. No, because I read that Dr. Star preview just like you did. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk about that when it comes out. But no, uh, Sherlock Frankenstein, number four, is... It, it's got all the heart of Black Hammer. When Black Hammer's got the heart, it's just... It's so good. It's such and a good And it finishes finish. on an upper note. It does. It's so weird. Um, dude, I thought we, we've we talked about this. We just haven't talked about it on the podcast or something. Because you no, no. It made, it made special series of 2017. But not issue four, did it? No. No. Yeah. We're finishing up, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's uh, he pulls it off. It's unexpected. Ruben gets to do his... Uh, double page spreads again. It's just... Oh, David Rubin. I mean, somebody in my shop said Jeff Lemire gets a vote for hardest working comic book creator of the year. And I go, yeah, but David Rubin is not far behind. Yeah. He's just busting ass and taking names. And, you know, that fourth issue, we've been talking, I've been trying to get some colorist credits in here. And lately, the colorist has really been pulling their weight in books. And David Rubin does it all. He does the art, lettering, and coloring for this series, and it is imbued with 
such luscious hues that are just dripping with color and everything. It just goes nuts. And the double page spreads, and they're just gorgeous. And the way, because Black Hammer is really kind of a dark, depressing book, right? So this mini series with Lucy, it, it it's up, and it finishes on an up note. And it's very unusual. It's very different from Black Hammer for a mini series, you know. And well, I don't know. It just uh, it works so beautifully. Yeah. And it, it's probably the best superhero book right now on the stands, I'm thinking. You know, it's up there. If you're not reading it, well, fucking put Thor down for five minutes and read Black Hammer for Christ's sakes. I don't know. Although I do like Thor, too, but I don't need to go into that now. All right. All right. Uh, this is I all gotta, you. Yeah, this one's me, isn't it? Comic Book History of Comic Books 2. These guys had a great first run in Volume 1 of a what I'll call an abbreviated, illustrated history of American comic books. Worked fine for me. The second volume is a little more problematic because they're jumping around a bit and, and skipping things, and that's it's probably due to practicality's sake, but it's kind of not let me enjoy it as much as I might have. However, I'm going to mention number two because it talks about copyrights and all the creators in the industry that get fucked over, and they focus in on um, who's the Superman guy, Siegel and Shuster, and then it goes into detail about Jack Kirby later on. You know, and a couple other ones and the other ones. And I'm like, this is good stuff. I mean, all comic book readers should probably take a look at these stories because the business aspect, as ugly as it can be, is necessary when you're trying to form a full-fledged opinion of what comic books are. And you should really treat yourself to understand what it's like for large companies to publish comics versus smaller ones. And at least some other arguments as well. And they did a pretty good job. You don't have to read the... Uh, the other story in there, which is, incidentally enough, the British invasion of comic book writers, believe it or not. But uh, the 12 or so pages they devote towards comic book uh, copyrights and the history of comics and how publishers have worked their dogs off to screw people in the industry should be enlightenment for everybody that reads comic books. So, number two, get it now. Hey, man, is Donnie Cates the, the next Messiah in writing, or are we still, like, waiting? I don't know, but I'm, don't know. I'm still he's, enjoying Redneck so I know. He's he's doing something at Marvel that's a big deal, or DC, wherever he ended up. But, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Doing, he's doing Banos. There's that Spanish for bathroom. Thanos, that's what it is. Doctor is it? Strange. Oh, wow. Oh, that sounds yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's got work. He's got work. So, um, yeah, Redneck is into its – is this its second or third arc? Second arc. Um, you know, Redneck's, uh, it, the arcs run long. Let's just put it like that. You know, it's, uh, it goes. I call it too- a fun genre read. Yeah, it's a, no, I mean, I like Redneck a lot and it eventually gets where it needs to go. It just takes a little bit too much time to get there. I feel like he'd be better served with one less issue in arc every time. Yeah. The, 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 the trait of new, perhaps a new writer, I don't know. But yeah, that conciseness is uh, very important when you get to be a good writer. Donny Keats has enough ideas and he thinks he has a, a structure a bit, but when he gets it all together, he may be really good. I mean, there's enough yeah. in um, Redneck to keep us going, and a lot of it is obviously due to the artwork of Lissandro Estevez. Yes. Who always and, uh, keeps it going. Yeah, the arcs are just enough. I mean, you're really fully – we're invested in this vampire redneck family trying to escape persecution across the United States for some reason here. And they can't get settled when one thing happens to them, then another. And um, Donny Cates manages to pull in all the 
vampiristic tropes and stuff like that quite well and weave them into a family uh, hillbilly narrative anyway with vampires as it were. Yeah. Yeah, redneck is what it is. Yeah, I'm excited for the next issue. I just wish that this issue had delivered on some of that promised excitement. Well, what about the end when the redneck dude comes out? Remember he's talking to him earlier, about... Earlier. Huh? They, need, they needed it earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. They needed it earlier. <clears throat> Didn't need to be the reveal of a subplot. Anyway. I got you. Okay, so Snagglepuss or what the living fuck is this comic? <laughs> you know, I was a little more sympathetic towards the second issue than the first. Once I understood what they're doing, it's actually a Tennessee William play. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking anyway, because it's, it's played straight. They're playing this thing straight. Oh my God. It's so long. It's just like, I, I, I it's the, it's like the, the I think last time we talked about it, we were like, it's like he had this idea. What if Snagglepuss is a gay playwright in McCarthy era? Right. And then he didn't have any story for it. So now he's kind of got a story for it because, you know, it's going to look at what happens to people who ran afoul of the government. The government. But at the same time, it's like Snagglepuss is not a character. He's not even human. Well, he's not human, but I mean, it's just like he has less personality than Huckleberry Hound, who at least, you know. He's got some backstory, doesn't he? He's got some backstory. And it's just like the tone is a little weird, especially for the art. Like, I feel like if you've done this, I mean, Mike Fian and uh, whoever does the Morales on the Inks, they do a fine job, but. It has zero personality. The art right, is... Right, right. It's almost like someone, like one of those dry shows that you're watching, afternoon drama or something. Yeah. I, you know, it's really strange. So it's just, it's very weird and not any... It's okay. Like, it's well written, but... Right, but you're it, trying to, you're, you're, you're stressing to... You want to like it because it's got Hanna-Barbera characters, but it's not funny... And you want to like it because it might be a Tennessee Williams drama, but it's not engaging and you don't have any sympathy for the characters. And it's kind of drawn and there's this whole human animal dichotomy where they exist yeah. in the same world that they kind of like, well, what's that about? And why is that that so comfortable? Well, the other thing is, have we seen any gay same species couples? Uh, well, we saw the one guy trying to pick somebody up at a bar and get his head handed to him. And then he was out with the boys. He was out with Snagglepuss and right, somebody but yeah. Was he after a human or an animal? He, he, he tried to pick up a human in the park. That was in the park, though. Okay. And his boyfriend before was human. So it's like, why is the homosexual. Like, the homosexual thing is cro- only cross-special? That's weirder than it, like... Right. Is Does he just, like, prefer human males? Right. Like, is that 
part Does of that mean anything? This, right, like because if it's yeah, it's like it, it asks <clears throat> questions that there may not be any answers for, or even matter. You or know? right, like these probably weren't. Yeah, it just does not seem to be firing on. Well, any it's of it's a symptoms. minor hit so far at my shop. People are just <laughs> freaked out by its weirdness, you know, and I think they're along for the ride just because it's so weird. No. Oh. And I'm 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 at a loss as to explain why you should read it. I mean, it it's well crafted visually, and the colors are good. <laughs> I, there, it asks a lot of questions which it doesn't have answers for. I think, which is its its ultimate problem of getting into it. You know, uh, I'd like to like it because it's, but I, I, the approach is so weird, and you don't know what the point of it is. You're not sure yet. Yeah. You know. Well, we weren't sure about the other one either. Should we just should we just say into that because I haven't read it. I didn't have time. Oh, what uh, monthly somebody, bust, somebody bumped up the record time, so I didn't have time. Uh, to read it. Okay, well, we'll talk. Should we talk about it next time? Is it good? It finishes just fine. <sighs> All I right. I, 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 well, I won't say it, but, but you know, like. Uh, I, I will say that uh, what's his name, the artist on there, Morissette, very good. Yeah, balances the realistic and the cartoon aspects of this thing wonderfully because they're like in the same, they're next to each other, and the panels that are right next to each other, and he just pulls it off, and it just works on that visual level. Uh, yeah, you know what? We'll talk about it next we'll time. We'll talk about um, it next time. All right, all right. Anyway, I didn't read Batman White Knight Five. Did you? Yeah. You neither. Oh, did you? Okay, I didn't have time. I just didn't have time. Really. I was busy picking my nits. Yeah. So yeah. what? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he should have gotten eight issues. He doesn't need. You know, it. when when I saw eight, I was kind of worried. I'm like, you might be able to pull six, but eight is like a lot. You're gonna be you're gonna be like Netflix trying to get to thirteen episodes. Yeah, like we're really dragging some things here, but you know, good art, right? Like, there you go. There yeah. you go. That's why I say it's Batman book of the day right yeah. now. Well, did you so read then, Damn Date? Damn Date? No, I didn't get to read. Well, Damn Date. You have is, read uh, Damn Date because it's Prodigal Sons three. Yeah, that was going to say it finishes up the reprint. So I yeah. read it years ago, but I haven't seen it lately. Let's so, it um, so does it hold up? It actually reads better than it does as a limited series because it just sets up a sequel, which never okay. came. So now, as it comes as the middle, the second arc and the ongoing, it fits a little bit better. It's still rushed. I think Colin Bunn is a five-issue arc kind of guy. Yeah, I have to agree. It's he, he, he's much more um, potent at a shorter pace than like long, draggy out things. But the three-issue thing was nice because they reprinted it within the current volume, and it fits, and it gives them a little breathing time, and so they print it in color right. so it looks better. And uh, you can tell it's older Brian Hurt art because it's a little more cartoony and not quite as developed. Yeah. But it doesn't. It's not hurt by it. But uh, I don't know. It, it seems to have worked nicely. I thought his, I, I thought his brother wasn't going to be able to star in any more after this. I can't remember. I, it's been too many years. I was under the impression his brother uh, didn't make it or the something. Brother's I, back, man. The brother's okay, back. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Well, damned is a good book. I mean, yeah. So can't wait for nine. Catching on in my shop anyway. And then uh, last but not least, another newbie. Uh, Grave Diggers Union number four. 
You didn't get to that one? I got mm-hmm. to that one. Okay. I got to that one. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's our bizarre little favorite weird read. Like, hey, man, why do you read Grave Diggers Union? I don't know. It's just a weird little book. Ah. Grave diggers that take their job seriously about keeping demons off the face of the earth, you know. And one of them's daughter is actually going to, you know, bring in the demons, you know. Yeah, the catalyst for uh, the annihilation of everything. Yeah, you know? so. I think Back we to talk- bubble. Well, what is it? Um, Vinegar Teeth is going to have some Lovecraft things. And by Lovecraft things, we mean Chitholu and shit like that. The otherworldly demons, yeah, that take over. And, you know, Gravedigger's Union kind of has it. And Hellboy kind of has it. And obviously, Alan Moore kind of has it. And everybody's kind of got it. It How about about Damned? Does it got it? No, Damned actually doesn't have it. (laughs) But Sabrina had it, right? Sabrina had it, yeah. It's loaded. Archie did, you know? So the thing is, is at this point, I think it's fine. I think I'm on board. I'm on board for the unofficial Lovecraft extended universe. Like, fuck it. Like, it gives everybody a common mythology. They don't have to think that much about their fucking horror mythology. They can concentrate on the comic and how they're telling the comic. And not all the other shit. Like, you just have the other shit there. You know, it's it's like a template they're building off of. It's it's. I like yeah, it. You don't, I you like don't have it to something. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to invent it from whole cloth. And right. Just go along with some convention. Right. Well, that's that's how the Jeff Lemire is making his career these days. Right. Um, but oh, yeah. I, I will have I will have to say that Tony Cypress and they got Nick. Oh yeah, Nico, Toby. Oh, he's great. But they got a, a colors Nico Gardia on the colors this time around, and. uh Again, great visual stuff. I mean, I remember how prejudiced I was about computers uh, in their relationship with comic books and art because there really wasn't anything under the new. It seemed to be saving chores rather than being innovative. But now with guys like David Rubin and Tony Cypress, you're really seeing like a whole lot of innovation being done with the computer-oriented tools within the comic book frames and subtext. And it's really an exciting time, you know? I mean, on one hand, they're like, oh, one guy does everything. And I'm like, yeah, but one guy can do everything now, you know? And that wasn't possible before without a huge amount of time being spent on something. So, I don't know, Gravediggers Union is is kind of a fun comic. It's a a quest thing, and it's a family thing, and it's a union thing, and it's all wrapped together with some really cool... uh, I don't know, new wave art, I guess you call it, for lack of a better phrase, but just good stuff. But, uh, well, that wraps up all the books. We've got some quick TPs to mention. Uh, Collected Spiceo came out. Spiceo! Spiceo! One of our best picks of the year, 2017, by Rich Tomasi. Good stuff. Great uh, <sighs> Tintin homage and done very attractively, too. Yep. Um, also is 50 Years of the Fabulous Free Freak Brothers by Gilbert Shelton. That came out. You know, and you know what's really a shame is anytime we get the Freak Brothers reprinted or anything by Gilbert Shelton, it's through English. Uh, Knockabout does it. I mean, I guess he lives um, in France now, so we get the English stuff, you know. And I'm like, God, isn't there an American publisher that can do this for Christ's sakes, you know? But uh, thank God we got Knockabout editions. It's a really attractive book. With some really nice samplings of Freak Brothers material, if you've never seen it before, and easily worth twelve ninety nine, one of the oh, better values. Good? Oh, it's great! And then uh, one of our favorites, Black Hammer Volume Two, collected uh, just in time. So if you haven't jumped on the Black Hammer uh, 
movement. Uh, get your head out of your ass and uh, get in there. Yeah? I don't know what to tell you, I man. Know, right? like... put, put down the motherfucking Nightwing and read Black Hammer, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I I really try. I really, really try. And I, I almost leap across from the counter sometimes and want to beat customers with a stick. I love you all, but <sighs> never mind. So for our uh, for our second or for our feature discussion, our secret discussion our secret feature dis- yes we're going to be talking about comic book shops um, just because you know why not, why not so what was your what was your first comic shop that you remember uh my first regular comic shop. There was this place called Action Comics in Wilmette. Or was it on Tui? It was in Lincolnwood or something. It was on Tui. I think. Or was it in Skokie? Anyway, it was over by Dempster. Yeah, I think, you're right. I think it's yeah. Action on Dempster and Skokie. We got, the, yeah, we got it. We got it now. But maybe that was like the first one or definitely... We drove out to a Moon Dogs once, but you know I was like eight or I was ten. Like I wasn't, I wasn't ready for a comic book shop yet. Like they were not friendly to kids at that point. Um, no, it was a very different audience. I think that the shop I used to patronize, there weren't too many kids in it. Like, it, 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 I think I was allowed in there because I didn't steal. <laughs> 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 a lot of my friends stole so they didn't go in there very much if at all <laughs> I'd usually buy something so we we're on better terms I think you know comic shops are different I mean I'm as old as dirt so I exist pre-comic shop and my mom used to love used bookstores and as a small boy she'd haul me on the back of her bicycle and we'd visit some used bookstores and invest Terribly, there'd be like this box of comics for a nickel or a dime or something like that, you know, and that usually kept me busy while my mom would go and look through these shelves for books and stuff like that. That's my first experience of a comic shop like that. But then years down the line, when I was at that wizened old age of nine, uh, uh, Larry's opened up over there in North Rogers Park along the lakefront. And that would have to be the beginnings of what you'd call a quote-unquote professionally run store, I guess you want to call it, for lack of a better term. Yeah. How often were you able to get in action? It was rare. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think here. So, there was the world's biggest garage sale thing. Yeah, in Evanston. In yeah. Evanston. And there used to be a comic book shop that went there. That was that was my first understanding that there were places that just had endless amounts of back issues and everything you ever fucking wanted. So action, I go to irregularly because you know I think I rode my bike there sometimes. That's a haul from where you're at. So you green suburban kid. Yeah, eventually I discovered what was it now playing or was that what it was. First called in downtown Evanston. Oh, I don't know. There's, I don't remember anything too ah. old. One, what was oh, it? Called? Oh, Ripple, Ripple, Ripple. 
Ripple, I'm going to go check in on Moni. See you in a bit. All right. Talking about no, we were talking about downtown Evanston. So That's in, right. in downtown Evanston, there was a place called Now Playing, right? Over by it became Comic Scene because that was that was the shop in downtown Evanston later. But I think the first shop was called Now Playing. Uh, a comic relief was later, wasn't it? Is that what? It, well, I got the card. And it might have been, they, What's the address? Sixteen oh one Sherman. Yep. Okay, so you're right. <laughs> well, it but might it, have had another name when you were well, younger. Well, it started too. is now playing. Yeah. And I know that one of the first things I ever got there was the uh, that fucking alien book by uh, Simonson, wasn't it? Remember who adapted Alien? Yeah, there was actually a good one in Simon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that at the comics. That's pretty damn cool. Playing. The one you said yeah. in Alien Hog, you read that yeah. book as a kid. I read it chaptered in uh, Heavy Metal. So that was like my first, that turned into my first regular comic shop. And then Comics Relief, Comic Relief, not Comic Scene, which I guess I just made up. That was my regular comic shop for a while. Like, Regular. Now it had new books, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think. I think Comic Relief only had like back issues going back a couple years. Wasn't a big place. I think I was in there once, kind of triangular shaped or something. It had a weird shape because it was in a weird sort of new building. You know? Right. And I don't know. I, I stopped going because I I ordered the uh what was it? Remember when Dark Horse did the Alien Aliens book about ants and then they released the book the in the comic about ants, like the book in the book. They wow. made this fucking hardcover, like I don't know, it was like fifteen bucks. This fifteen dollar hardcover that was like discussed in this aliens mini series and I pre-ordered it. And at like some point I was just like, I can't, I can't fucking bring myself to buy this. Like <laughs> I'm going to be a bastard kid and not do it. Dump it. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was my last regular comic book shop in Illinois for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Until I came around anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember like some kid telling me when we're riding our bikes that like there's a comic shop on Devon. And I said, oh, my God, you know, I just about pooped in my pants because, you know, <laughs> at that point I was going to a, like a uh, drugstore 
mm-hmm. the variety store and uh, the L station at uh, Granville to get my books because they were all like distributed by magazines. So you had to have more than one source because you'd skip books if you just kept going to the same place. You'd have to check like two or three of them. And Larry's opened up, but he didn't have new stuff. He had like old stuff and it was all in boxes and it was in order and it was old and it was cheap. And he had a pencil price written on the back of every cover of which I've actually bought books to this day that I know are from him because I recognize his numbers. (laughs) Uh, And Larry's will always be interesting in many ways just because of its dumpiness because I looked at the details while you're looking at books because I spent so much time there. And while there was a fair share of vermin running around, I don't know, mice didn't bother me as much as roaches. Those things would freak you out once in a while. But I saw very few things like that in all the years I spent in there, even though out of the corner of your eye, something might move once in a while, you know, but it wasn't that unusual. We were there for the comics. <laughs> the the vermin was just incidental. Uh, but he had the shit, man. And, you know, you could get stuff there for like a quarter, like old books from the 60s for a quarter, you know. And it was just like, wow. And uh, he was a typical antisocial schmuck. Uh, <laughs> didn't like kids. Had his group of friends that come around, older guys in their 40s at least. And um, I don't know. Just really, uh, he, he had the shit, but he just never got to do it. He wasn't very personable. That's the sad thing. You know, like when you run a business, right? I'm a small business person and you really have to be social. You know, I mean, you want to make money and you want to connect with your customers. You can't just like look up and grunt. (laughs) (laughs) When when Larry's closed, it was a big deal. Remember that? You know something? I was so disconnected with him at that point. I wasn't around when it closed. I was married already. No, no, no. What was the shop that closed when I was still in Illinois? Remember that? How many of them closed? I well, don't know. That's- it was a big shop, though. It was one of the. You went and looked at it because you were trying to find some stuff. You you were huh. gonna look through it, and he just had stacks and stacks of shit, and it was oh, all he- unsorted. What was that? I think uh, I wonder if you're talking about the guy on. He's also on Dempster. Yeah, West of the Highway. Um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, not Apocalypse, but what the fuck was it? I don't know. It was kind of a dumpy place, but lots and lots of stacks. You're right. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was Phoenix. 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 <laughs> fuck. From the ashes. So you know, the guy still gets boxes. At the at the the thing, all these years later, he's got a comic club and friends that still get him that. The minimum. comic club, huh? Yeah, that well, was the, you know, tri- the that was know, the fucking controversy. Yeah, the diamond account. If you order five hundred dollars a month from them in retail, you can have a comics club. And let me tell you, $250, 300 dollars worth of books is not hard to get among half a dozen comics fans. Right. <laughs> anyway. So, Larry was the shit because his was dumpy and he wasn't social, but he had the goods and he was cheap. And I bought a number of cheap things from him. And uh, they were very good values. And to this day, I will never question his his attitude is one I carry with me into the shop to this day. I'd rather have a cheaper amount of money from you into my now than wait five years for that one customer willing to pay me a fortune for something. So. It's all about movement, you know? Right. 
I don't know. Let's see. You have to start looking for shops. Like you lived in Evanston. As cultural as that place is, it was utterly devoid of comic stores. <sighs> so, yeah. So there was comics, Comic Relief, which was basically in downtown Evanston. Yeah. Then I went off to college where I had two comic shops. Where were you at college? Southern Oregon, Ashland. Oh, okay. Maybe... I thought that place was called Comic Relief, too. I don't know. More fun comics. More fun comics. That's what it was called. More fun. More fun. I think the owner was some rich kid. Like, he was cool, but I can't understand how we could have this. It was an indie bookstore in 2000 when that still meant something, you know, before Amazon. Or Books a Million or whatever the fuck the first online place well, was. Well, it'd be post-crash, too, because it crashed all before I got in there. Right. So he had uh, – and then he had – then he had comics and he had the indie books. And it was this beautiful shop, you know, and I could never understand because he always had material. The other comic book shop ran out of shit. This oh. guy, I was able to go in and buy Ultimate Spider-Man number one variants – Oh for like God. two months after they came out. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, the book is, I'm, I'm buying them and selling them on eBay. Like, that's literally what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I learned, you know. So, and at one point I asked him, like, what he thought of Ultimate Spider-Man, because, you know, it was on issue four or something, and he still had these first printings of the first two variants. And he's like, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, because I keep selling out. It's like, well, where the fuck are you getting these first? So it just seemed like that place was n- always safe. The other comic book shop was very sketchy. He never had stuff. But this guy had everything. Like, I think he ordered all, at least one of everything for the rack. So would this be pre-computers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out of an order book, keep a track of what you're ordering, you know, pens and papers and everything. Yeah, if you don't have the discipline, that can get out of hand really fast. <laughs> so that was my place for a while. Then I came back, and there were two places downtown Evanston. There was Comics Revolution. Oh, there you go. Jim's place. Yeah, and then another place over by where the Osco used to be. Remember that? Oh, the Genre Bookstore, dude. The Genre Bookstore. And the Genre Bookstore, they bagged all their new issues. They bagged and boarded because this was 2004 back when, you know, we were like, we're going to bag and board everything because it's all going to be worth a million dollars. Well, that might even be a little late. I'm thinking that practice was dying. <sighs> I got started because, you know, I would never board it. Well, bag. they didn't like, charge for it. Yeah, you know, there were places where it's really like, insane. right, yeah, you I, pay 25 cents for the bag and board it or 50 or whatever. No, they, it was complimentary, but you had to wait till the afternoon for the book. And I wanted the book in the, when they opened, which led me to web comics. Oh, yeah, that was on Oakton. Yep. He was around for a little while. And I went to web until the week that Jay and Silent Bob number one came out. Uh-oh. And this guy didn't order any. Oh, Jesus. And he's like, oh, oh. And he's like, I'll, I'll find you one. Call me back. And instead, oh, yeah, like, yeah, it was too late instead on that I sure. called the Comics Gallery of Wilmette. <laughs> well, 
Wonder who that is. Wonder who that was. And he was like, I've got that book. Get your ass over here, man. There you go. <laughs> That's how it is. You got to know your inventory and uh, you got to hopefully get that right customer anyway. Because uh, comic book stores, they really vary in quality. And uh, from its very humble origins, it'd be like one single semi-antisocial guy hanging by the thread of his teeth, probably living in the back, uh, just having this place with old comics, you know. Not necessarily new ones. New ones didn't come to like 1970, 1974 when Phil Suling opened up the direct market and these guys could order from him. Um, so how do they make a living? You look at it now like, oh my God, you're selling back issues. How, how do you exist? Are you eating these things when you close? I don't get it, you know. But, uh, you know, it led me to a lot of places. Uh <laughs> trying to think we used to have one up on Clark Street and it was pretty cheap when I was a kid they offered like 10% off just to go in there and buy stuff <laughs> <laughs> well you know and, and then we got to go like 15 years later or whatever it is and I'm on that neighborhood with my girlfriend who would later be my wife and I'm like oh my god this comic shop is still here <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I got to go in here. And like, as soon as we get in the doorway, you can smell the cat piss. And my <laughs> wife says, you know what? I'm going to have a cigarette. You go on in. You let me know. Right <laughs> so I, I lasted all of maybe 60 to 90 oh. seconds. And I said, okay, I'm done. This is it. My memory's well, shot. Let's get out of here. You know, this is, it's, it's, pro it's, I don't know what the state of, Marvel's and DC's digital back catalog is, but I imagine it's pretty extensive by now. By now, yeah, whatever. But you know, back in the eighties and the nineties, you know, this is back when Mile High Comics would have full page ads in your fucking comic book. Like Right. You bought a new issue of Web of Spider-Man and you were like, oh, I'm going to see if they have Web of Spider-Man and order it through the mail. And it, you could not find things back then and you wanted to. And so every comic book shop that had back issues potentially had some magical thing for you to find. I remember, was it Silver Surfer 4 supposedly as an appearance by the Monster of Frankenstein or some shit. And really? I always wanted to find that. <laughs> and it's like a fortune. Because yeah, it's, it's, I think it's Kirby, right? Like it's still Kirby. Uh, no, I'd be, be abusive, but it's old. Yeah. And it's like, I think he's in a fucking panel. Like, or he wasn't in it. and it yeah, was because he stopped off at Earth at that time. Uh, or it was just a fucking typo in the overstreet, you know? It's yeah. just like, so, and then, what I a mean. disappointment. <laughs> that doesn't even get into the speculation aspect of it is that, you know, oh, I'm going to find something, you know, like, oh, I'm going to find, like I did, oh, I'm going to find X-Men 14 at some fucking used antique place for nothing. <laughs> get it and like nah it's not worth anything no we didn't have like well when the first shops came around there was um classified ads in the comic books and i have a customer oh incidentally uh, named rob nice gentleman we he grew up west of me and we both went to larry's as a kid and we never met in the 30 years that guy was open and we <laughs> must have been two of the only kids that shopped in that place right but we never met and anyway, uh, let's see, where am I going with this? 
we were talking about the uh, classified ads and comics and how many we ordered. Uh, we got our bags, like a guy oh, named Howard. Bags. Peter. He had to order them through the classified. I section. remember that it was like it was one of those things. I'm a kid. And I'm like, Bob, can you order me some bags? It's just like <laughs> this is way too shady. No, we're not doing this. You know, it's just like I know, yeah. Mom doesn't like but moms don't immediately like classified ads. They don't like <laughs> but we got the bags. Yeah. And, uh, Who's that? Robert Bell was another one. And we were rattling off these names of these guys whose catalogs we'd wrote for to find out. You right. Know, and they would send you back. And he said he bought an Avengers number one. I forget what it was from Robert Bell. Or one of the, I go, wow, you ordered something mail order like an Avengers one when we were like, <laughs> well, it could be 1972 when this happened. You know, this would never happen now. You know well, what I mean? It, it is such a trip. Uh... Send it through the mail. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't like, I wouldn't trust anything in the mail department nowadays, you know? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, and then in what, the early 2000s, you had a lot of shops get on eBay. Yes, that was a big part of business that, that would uh, help me get rid of a lot of bad material when the uh, market hit the shits. Yeah. And I don't know if it's gone over to Amazon. I don't know how that yeah, works. There's a lot yeah. of people who use Amazon. One of my fellow dealers, Terry, uses Amazon quite extensively. I think because it's more um, – they use the USP number. It's real quick. He it's real quick. Real yeah. quick. Yeah. 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 But I don't, you can't do it for floppies, though. I What's mean, that? They, no, don't no, they don't have standardized have... floppy sales. Yeah. Well, they don't have the ISBN numbers, no. right? Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? That's big, a bigger part of our business, obviously, but I still – you just want a shop that has enough stuff to keep you interested and it's clean enough where it doesn't stink. And The guy is friendly but not too friendly. <laughs> like, don't shut up. <clears throat> hey, shut up. I'm trying to fucking comics. Will you shut the fuck up? <sighs> yeah. Oh. Well, no, I've only been to one shop since I moved out here. Well, you're, you're and out I there didn't buy comics. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's not a very good comic store, it doesn't look like. It looks all right. I mean, what was that? I was at one of the malls. Is it Mall of America you have or whatever the hell it is? Uh, it was no, in a mall. I don't know. It was outside on the Paranade or two, two, which was weird. It was like. I think that one must have closed because I've oh, never. Okay. It was like on that big bridge between the two sides. I'm like, oh, this is a comic store, like right out here in the Parapanade. Like it doesn't have a store. It's like right out here, you know, like that's wild. Um, to me, it was very theft easy, so I didn't like it. <laughs> Maybe that's why they went out of business. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they just no, they just closed a bunch of them. They didn't go out of business, but that used to be a big deal. How many fucking shops Mile High had? I'm trying to think. We have a chain, Graham Crackers. I'm thinking yeah, they got, got eight or ten or twelve. I don't know, something like that. That's a right. fucking lot to have for a comic book shop, especially now. Well, there are better ones. There's the flagship down on Michigan Avenue, which I'm, I've never been to, but I've heard a lot of nice things about. And then there's the lesser ones that are like the little neighborhood places that are manned and stuff. And I mean, it really takes 
an individual to solo run a shop and make it interesting because the curation is a big part of it. You know, I often tell people what differentiates my shop from other shops is that it's partially curated. Like I don't have crap on there. I mean, I have some crap. Everybody's got crap, (laughs) but I mean, I have selective crap, (laughs) I guess, you know, like, I have taken stuff out of diamond boxes and thrown it away and won't let it touch my racks. <laughs> Fucking awful. I go, why did I order this? And I'm like, this cannot be out there. I'm sorry. <sighs> you will not let your customers have such a disappointing experience as to accidentally <laughs> buy this comic and take it home and associate it with your shop. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> I try to hold those off. Uh... <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's always interesting when you go someplace to go to comic book shops. Like, remember when we did our Milwaukee tour? Collector's Com- Edge. That was the one with all the uh, trades on the wall and the air conditioning that came out through the floor and gratings. I like that place. It was hot. <laughs> was that the last one? The one we went to at night? That was the one where we easily stumped the clerk and the manager as to who Paul Pope was. That was our stump the stump the clerk question. Yeah, that, hey, we were such snobs. We went up there and we're just like, let's well, the, see if they know no, who Paul Pope is in Milwaukee. And guess what? They don't. Nobody, no, <laughs> nobody's heard of Paul Pope. But in it was Milwaukee. like, was, was it for Batman Year One Hundred? Like we weren't asking for you know THB two like. And the clerk was so nice. And then he went and got the manager and he didn't know either. Uh, and I like, I go, man, what are these? I go, what comics do these Philistines read? I don't, I don't know, you know. But you know what? Their shop was all right. And if I had it for a neighborhood comic shop, I'd probably be comfortable with that. Yeah. It was, it was but, fine. Yeah, that was a fine shop for me. Even at a couch, man. They're nice people. I don't have a fucking couch. <laughs> Fuck those couches. <laughs> Ah, Vern just wants you to sit on the floor, everybody. Bring in some food. Sit on the floor. Right in front of the door. Go outside and sit on the curb. Uh, Just pay for shit before you bring it out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's that's, that's comic shops in a nutshell. I mean, uh, they're they're an interesting breed. you're, You're lucky to have a cool one by you. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. It's like my friend, when he first walked into my shop after a while, he goes, wow, it's a good thing you weren't around when I was a kid. And I said, why is that? He goes, because I'd never leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a problem with your shop. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't want to go back to reality right now. I think I'll hang out for another five minutes and talk about TV or movies or something, you know. <sighs> well, it's always been pretty cool. You know, it's always had a unique place. So in conclusion, what makes a comic shop? Is it just like some schmuck bringing comics and putting them up on a rack? Is it somebody that really gives a shit and can talk to people and ask them, like, questions about art, story, and all sorts of stuff, you know? So what do you get out of it? So all I can say is if you get a good shop, take good care of it. That is a good point. You know, appreciate your comic book shop. A comic book shop 
you know, comic book shops have survived in a way that used bookstores, which we all needed to support, did not, right? So there's still a chance to appreciate your comic book shop because, you know, like... <clears throat> I guess that means pick up your goddamn files. Exactly. <laughs> Don't be the asshole kid who orders a copy of Ant. You know, by yeah, Dark Horse, and never fucking shows up to buy it because you decide be, you'd rather that, never read another comic. Don't be that customer. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, have a good one, kids. We love you. You can get a hold of us through is it comicsfondle.com? Yep, comicsfondle.com. Or you can go to the Comics Gallery Facebook page and just sing your heart out. Either way, it's up to you. Yep. So until next time, stay cool. Have a good night, everybody. Ciao.